Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Wow. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here in Cambridge. Um, as Becky said, we now have about 150, 160 children on site with us in Kenya every day. Um, that can be quite a challenge, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Those of you who have children know how expensive it is to have children. Is it expensive? They don't tell you that, do they? When you're on your marriage course, they don't tell you how expensive it is to have children. But, you know, I've got one natural child and now 150 adopted children and it's expensive like very expensive so these kids when we take them in you know I said to someone today if you're going to start working with orphans and children who are in need then you've got to be committed for the long haul you can't it's not the kind of thing you can just do and dip your hand in see how it goes and if you don't like it six months later pull out it's not like that okay this has got to be a long-term commitment um, it's actually got to be a lifetime commitment. As much as we would sometimes like to, we can't get rid of our children. Um, we're stuck with them for life, that's it. So we've kind of got to do that as well with these children in Kenya. They are absolutely as important to us as our natural child. That's literally how we see this. In fact, we're in the process of legally adopting about 40 of them. So life is about to get even more complicated when that happens. But I'm used to doing crazy, complicated things. I bought a fire engine this week, which uh, I'll tell you about that later. I've actually bought a fire engine. We pick it up tomorrow. But that's another story. We'll go into that later. So this isn't the normal guest speaker slot. So, um, yeah, I bought a fire, and it's converted into a limousine in the back. So um, the kids are going to love it. Hey, that's for England, though, so that's another story. I've really wanted to drive a fire engine forever, so I just bought one. So tomorrow, I will be the proud owner of a fire engine. Exciting. So if you can help us sponsor one of those kids, it really I'm not getting paid a penny for being here. I'm really not. I'm just here because I love doing what I do. And we can spend £18 a month. That can make a huge difference in a nation like Kenya or Sri Lanka, where we're now working as well. Um, so... We're now reaching between six and 11,000 kids every week in Sunday school, which is am- it amazes me to think that this all started. In fact, it started 10 years ago this month with a dream, with a visit. I went there 10 years ago. Uh, Becky went there about seven years ago. And then about five years ago, we got the land. And then four years ago, we opened the children's home. And it's just been a journey like that. So in four years... Look what God's done. On a bad week, it's 6,000 kids. On a good week, it's as high as 11,000 kids. We get a report every week with the exact figures. And I'm just amazed, really. I'm just standing here saying, wow, how did this happen? You know? And I'm sure you guys think that sometimes. <laughs> they end up pastoring a church. It's like, what? I think that every day. But hey, it's an adventure with God. So he can do things. So straight after this service, we're going to be down on the table in the cafe area. Please come and help us if you can sponsor one of these kids. I was so amazed that 11 people signed up to sponsor a kid this morning. 
That's amazing. I think we've got eight profiles left with us today. I got the numbers wrong earlier. It's about 19 kids. And if, imagine if those eight could get sponsored today. So just think about it. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to make you some outlandish promises about what God's going to do in your life if you sponsor a kid. Really, if you feel a bit of compassion for this and you can afford it, then I would encourage you to do it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm here today to tell a story. If we could get the scripture ready, Psalm 41 is the kind of text. Um, Absolutely right that two years ago, like Becky said, I was given three hours to live. Three hours. Pretty crazy. What do you do if you get told you've got three hours to live? I'd go to five guys if I could. But I didn't have that privilege. Psalm 41 says this. Do we have it on the screen? Psalm 41, the first three verses. Blessed is he who considers the poor. I could stop right there, go home, drive back up north, and we've had a good day. Leave it at that. Blessed is he. How many, anyone in here want to be someone who considers the poor? Yeah? Don't know about you, but if I get a pay rise, I don't want to be thinking, how much more do I get? I want to be thinking, how much more do I get to give? It's all about how you look at things. I always want to be someone who considers the poor, not just with my money, with my time, with my actions. I I don't want to walk past a homeless person in the street and just think that that's acceptable. I want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to care about those less fortunate than me. I'm blessed today. I've been able to get up, drive a car, come here, get some food, wear some clothes. Not everyone has that privilege. Okay? There's people out there, and sometimes we've got to get out of our own town and our own city and our own nation to see that. There's people out there dying in desperate need, and you could be the answer to their miracle. You say, well, I'll pray for them. Well, that's very sweet of you. How kind. Sometimes you got to do a little bit more than pray for someone. And some Pentecostals don't like to hear that. But we've got to be a people. Yeah, we've got to pray. We've got to intercede. We've got to be on our faces crying out to God. But when the time comes, we've got to step up and go where no one else is willing to go. Blessed is he who considers the poor. Now here's what's cool about blessing the poor. If you look after the poor, God will look after you. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. Now, how many know that God never said that there would be no sickbed? Some Christians think it's a sin to be ill. Okay? It's not a sin to be ill. Maybe today you've got a disease or an illness or a condition. But guess what? That doesn't make you a rotten sinner. What have I done to deserve this? Oh, God's judgment's on me. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have watched Coronation Street last night. 
And we think of all these reasons why we're suddenly sick. God never said there'd be no sickbed, but he promised he would sustain us on the sickbed. So two years ago in September, I was in Kenya. We go there, we take about five or six mission trips a year. So we're very busy. We have maybe, we also have an office here and an office in America. And now we're just establishing our Sri Lankan office. So we've got four kind of countries which are constantly going on in our head. So that's why I don't sleep very much because I'm always on a different time zone thinking, who can I call now or who's going to call me now? So quite a lot going on. I'm going to confess something to you, which is my completely my fault completely stupid of me, but on this particular trip, I didn't take no medication. And I never did take medication when I went to Africa. I always thought, well, hey, we'll trust God, that old classic. <laughs> but how many know that God blesses us with doctors and medicine? Nothing wrong with medicine, okay? So I was in a rush, didn't have time to take no tablets, got there to Kenya, and had a great trip. When we're there on our mission trips, you know, we try and cram a lot into a mission trip. Now, what I found is in my 10 years or so of traveling, you seem to get two different types of mission trip. You get evangelism trips where people want to cast out demons, pray for the sick, and preach to people. They love doing that, but they're not so bothered about the kind of poverty levels there. So they'll do the power evangelism stuff, but then they might not take much notice of the poverty levels and they'll just focus on their preaching. Then you get the other kind of mission trips where people just want to go and paint someone's fence or give them some food, but they don't want to tell them about Jesus. Now, neither one of those particularly appeals to me. So ever since we've been doing this, even when we were with Shake the Nations, we always used to say, let's do both. It's mercy and it's mission. Let's go out there, preach the gospel, cast out demons, pray for the sick, meet people's spiritual needs. But guess what? The gospel to the starving man could well come in the form of the bowl of rice. So we try and do both. I think that kind of makes sense, doing both. So our mission trips are busy, they're long, we get up early in the morning, we stay up late at night, we pack it out, we, we work hard, we work people hard, we get in schools, we get in prisons, we tell people, just come prepared to work, and they do. And we have now probably six, 70, 80 people from around the world joining us on mission every year. So what a blessing that is. So on this particular trip, I actually remember joking with my friends, hey, where's the mosquitoes? There's no mosquitoes on this trip. How amazing they've gone. That'll teach me. I come back to England for two days. Then I'm flying straight to America for a speaking tour. In fact, we were doing a big fundraising banquet. It's like a dinner in a swanky hotel. And there was going to be lots of business people there. And we were going to hopefully raise a lot of money and sponsors for some of the work that we're doing in Kenya. So, and I was one of the guest speakers, Becky and I, at this dinner. So we were going to fly out there, speak in a few churches, speak at this dinner, and then go from there. So, you know, get to America. About a week into the trip, I started to feel really sick. I started to feel like extremely weak in my body, which is very unlike me. 
Um, I like to run, which might surprise you, but given my passion for five guys. However, I remember going for a run one morning and just feeling so weak. I mean, I couldn't even run. I had to just walk and then go back to the house where I was staying. I was so weak. I thought, well, hey, let's see what happens. Then one day I wake up, it's a Sunday morning, and I'm sweating, shaking, shivering, and I'm thinking, this is a serious illness. This, is, this sounds, feels pretty bad. What is it? I go to church that morning, and thank God the sickness seems to lift off me, whether it's adrenaline, whether it's God, whether it, I don't know what it is, but I felt good. I preached for two hours, sat back down, and instantly the sickness hits me again, just like that. I get in the car, I go to sleep. I get home that night, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I feel so sick. I mean, this wasn't just man flu. I mean, this was clearly something worse than man flu. Now, to my disadvantage, I was staying in a house with my wife and a load of women. So did I get any sympathy? From these women, not an ounce. They bullied me and mocked me. Yeah, come on, bit of sympathy. Pretty rough few days, and they barely gave me a paracetamol to get me through. They mocked me and laughed at me. I mean, it was terrible. <laughs> that week, that Monday, I was flying down to Alabama where the, this fundraising dinner was. I get down there, I get at the airport, and I'm ill. I mean, like, really, really ill. And my host meets me, drives me to their house where I'm staying. I can't even eat, I can't even talk. I said, I've got to go straight to bed, I'm ill. The next day comes around, and I'm getting no better, and I resign to the fact that what men hate to do, we've got to go to the doctor. <laughs> we hate doctors, don't we? The last resort is going, we're not going to see a doctor. So, I go to the doctor. Here's when God does his first miracle for me. You know, behind every miracle, there's often lots of little miracles. You know, miracles have a language of their own. Beautiful statement. Miracles have a language of their own. I walk into the doctor's surgery. Now in America, now you, we all knock the NHS, don't we? We love to knock it and get mad about how rubbish it is. But in America, they have to pay every time they go and see a doctor. Thank God for the NHS. <laughs> so, just to walk through the door... $100, just to walk through the door. And he looks at me and he says, you're very ill. <laughs> I went, Did I just pay you to tell me that? I mean, that is an expensive diagnosis. If life's not already bad enough, you know, talk about salt in the wound. But $100 down the swanee and I'm told I'm ill. With no medication offered for free. But here's when God does a miracle. This man turns out 
is a spirit-filled Catholic. God can even use the Catholics. Okay? So, you know, he's spirit-filled. And he looks at me, and it turns out he does medical missionary trips to third world nations. So he instantly has a connection with me. Get this, and I love sharing this in American churches. They get so mad at me. He gave me my $100 back, which no one has ever done in the history of the world had a refund from an American doctor, especially a British tourist. So he gives me my $100 back, and he says, Matthew, something's just touched my heart about this. I want to stand with you and be with you while ever you're going through this. Whatever it is, we don't know yet. I'm going to take care of your costs with me, no charge. Yes. I'm a Yorkshireman, okay? I don't like being ill. I don't like seeing a doctor. I don't like paying for anything. So, so it's just win-win. At least there's some good news here. So, it doesn't solve the problem. I'm very ill. He says, go and get this medicine. If you're not better in two days, come back. I thought it'll just be some virus or something. I'll be fine. Never see him again. Two days go by and I feel worse than ever. Worse than ever. This thing is just getting out of control. It's terrible. I can barely even walk now. It's like I've had the stuffing knocked out of me. I feel so sick. Becky drives me there on the Thursday. This is the night of the big fundraising dinner. And I walk in. I stumble in. I can barely walk. He takes one look at me. He does some tests on me. He says, your levels are dangerously low. You need to get to hospital right now. So suddenly I'm thinking, this thing's pretty serious. This is pretty serious. You know, they don't just send you to hospital for nothing. So I'm going to have to, you know, I thought, hey, let's see how this thing pans out. I'd been in Africa the week before. And, you know, typical. Life never seems to be so straightforward for me. (laughs) But that week was the week of the Ebola outbreak. That week. So every TV station you look at, every TV channel, Ebola scare. Be careful where you've been. Go for checks. And I'm thinking, surely not. Surely not. Anyway, I walk into that hospital and I collapse on the floor instantly. I got, I just can't even stand. I begin to be sick. I begin to just, I lose all strength. I can't speak. The next minute I know I'm in a wheelchair I'm getting wheeled to a room. And I got suddenly out of nowhere, doctors, nurses appear. And for the first time ever about my case, I hear this dreaded word, Ebola. I'm thinking, surely, surely not. Then they tell me, they say, we're very sorry to break this to you. And they took Becky away. And they said, we're going to have to quarantine you. Because you have every symptom of Ebola. Every symptom. And they said, we're going to have to put you in an isolation unit while we take tests on you to determine whether you have this disease or not. Like, this is pretty serious. This is pretty serious. So, the nurses have to wear the big suits, the protective gear, and I'm in an isolation unit, and I'm not allowed to go and speak at that dinner that night. Pretty scary, very scary situation. I go on 
I have just about enough strength to look at my phone. I go on Google. I'm seeing news reports saying, man tested for Ebola in Alabama. (laughs) I'm like, is that me? And I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, this is pretty serious. The hospital deleted my records so that if anyone came and asked for my name, I was nowhere to be seen. I'm thinking, I'm just going to get wiped out of the university and no one's going to even know. (laughs) Becky goes and speaks at that dinner. She comes back that night and I suddenly hear this, Daddy! Daddy! I thought, it's my little boy. He's come to see me. So excited. He's three years old. I was so excited. And he's banging on the window and I'm looking at him like, come on in. And then it dawns on me that he's not allowed in the room. My wife isn't allowed in the room. They can just wave at me through a glass panel. It's pretty scary. Anyone ever been scared? Anyone ever been lonely? Anyone ever felt absolutely terrified and thought, there's no way out of this? I couldn't have, I didn't have anything. Even the nurses couldn't come and talk to me. They couldn't wait to get out of there. No one wanted to be anywhere near me. So I kind of can understand what it's like to feel unwanted and feel like nobody cares. Even though they did care, it felt like nobody could care. No one can hold my hand. My little boy can't come and kiss my face. Nothing. I'm all alone in that unit. Here's the special thing. I wasn't alone in that unit. Why? Because 11 years ago, friend, I decided to put my trust in Jesus Christ. I decided that no matter where life took me, no matter what happened in life, no matter what up or what down, I was going to follow Christ. And he came into my life, he forgave me of my sin, and he gave me a brand new life. Has life been perfect since then? No. Do I still mess up? Yes. But guess what? God is with me. And he's never going to let, never going to let me down. Hallelujah. They came back in the room. They said, it's going to take several days to clear you of Ebola. I thought, great. They said, but we do know that you do have malaria. Now, at that time, I breathed a sigh of relief. I thought, thank God for good old malaria. It could be a lot worse. Because those of you who are from Africa will know, it's a very common illness. There's probably people in this room who've had malaria. Yeah? Now, here's the problem. When we get kids get malaria in Africa, most of the time we give them some tablets, they recover pretty, pretty easily. Okay, um, although malaria is the biggest killer in the world. Here's the thing. My body isn't used to malaria. Do I look like that? Okay, <laughs> I'm as white as a ghost. <laughs> My body is not used to malaria, to put it politely. And I didn't just have any strain of malaria. I had what's called cerebral Oh, sigh the Africans. <laughs> you know all about that one. And they say that if 5% of it gets in your bloodstream, you can die. So you can imagine the fear and horror 
when they pulled Becky into the side room on the 2nd of October 2014 and said, your husband is at 20%. You can imagine the fear the following day when they pulled her into the side room and they said, it's at 50%. They said, we don't know of anyone in history, in the world, who can recover from having 50% of this parasite in their blood. Half of your bloodstream is filled with it. And your body is rejecting the doxycycline, the medication which they were giving me. The body is rejecting it. Now, here's the thing. It's not only rejecting it, but it's releasing toxins, which means that all your organs are now getting damaged. So your liver's going into failure. Your kidneys are going into failure. Your heart's going into failure. Your lungs are going into failure. And your brain is going to be damaged as a result of this cerebral malaria. Pretty scary stuff. Don't get much worse than this. So, not much really positive to think about at this point. He might have Ebola. He's definitely got malaria. And his organs are packing in. And he's going to be brain damaged if he survives. It's pretty bleak. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? Me, personally, nothing. Why? Because I'm half dead. Literally. I can't even think. I can't even talk. People say, did you have a lot of faith? Not really. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be on the Sid Roth show next week. (laughs) Sharing about angelic visitations. And great faith. It's just not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you the truth. It was pretty scary in that room. Okay? There was nothing. I just, I had... Barely any faith. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus never told us we need a lot of faith. He just said we need faith the size of a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed you can find. And I could just about dig in. Just dig in my gut and say, you know what? Maybe I can fight through this. Just maybe God's going to bring me out of it. And I could just reach in and find that little bit of strength but said, you know what, God? You're never going to let me, never going to let me down. Just maybe. That's about as good as it got for me. Sorry, Sid. (laughs) Now, Becky was a different animal. Sorry about calling my wife an animal. (laughs) But she really believed God. I'm sure they were hairy moments, sure there were scary moments, but she really did believe God. And Becky is a great woman of faith. She's a great woman of the miraculous. She's a woman who believes God. She's also a woman of Facebook. (laughs) I've been known to be skeptical about Facebook in my past, but never again. Becky did what all good women of God would do in that moment. She whipped out her iPhone 6 and typed out, please pray, we need a miracle. Matthew, here's what's happening, please pray. Now some of you will have picked up on that message. Some of you will have remembered it. You might not remember me. You might not remember my name. Someone came to me earlier and said they were in Colombia. They got the message, 
They didn't know who I was, but someone told them, hey, pray for this guy. So they did. I, I can, every church I go to anywhere in the world, at least one person will say, we remember your story. At least one person. I could be in the back end of Canada. Someone will say, hey, I remember that. And that taught me two things. Firstly, never ignore a prayer request. We get them, don't we, all the time. Especially pastors, you know, get these texts. My uncle's cousin's sister's dog has been diagnosed with arthritis. Can you get it on the prayer chain? And it's like, what? Who am I actually praying for here? Now I just put my hand on the phone. In Jesus' name, be healed. But never ignore a prayer request, okay? Secondly, we've got a lot to say about church, haven't we, as Christians? We like to give our two penneth on what's going on in the body of Christ. And we always think how things could be better and how the worship leader could have done it a little better this week or the preacher went on a bit too long. I don't like the new carpet or the coffee. We love to give our opinion, don't we? And criticize and say how it should be done. Can everyone say amen? (laughs) But here's what I learned. And we've all been guilty of that from time to time, I'm sure. I found in that few hours that the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful, beautiful, incredible army on the planet. What happened was that Facebook post got shared by thousands of people, literally thousands of people. Hundreds of comments. People spread it to their life groups, to their churches, to their gatherings, to their men's groups, women's groups. And people all around the world began to pray for this crazy English guy who they never even met. And God did a miracle. Three hours later, they called Becky in the room. They said, "Um, Mrs. Murray, we need to see you. She feared the worst. She really did. She thought, is this it? Are they going to pull the plug? They said, something's happened in the last three hours which we can't explain. She said that the malaria has gone from 50% right down to 10%. And there's no medicine involved here. So Becky and the guys who were with me began to think, is God doing a miracle here? Is something happening? And they began to pray. And Christians all around the planet began to pray and intercede and stand in the gap and do what they do best. Just pray. The next thing you know, the malaria goes from 10 to 5 to 3 to zero and it completely disappeared in Jesus name come on give God some praise and they said it's gone we don't know how but it's gone my heart which was enlarged got better my lungs which were functioning on 30-40% got better, my liver got better, my brain, well, (laughs) we're still working on that one, 
I did buy a fire engine yesterday, so people are questioning that one. But there was just one problem, and that was the kidneys. Now, I'm a guy you've picked up by now. I'm busy. I like to travel. I've got a lot going on. So to do that, you kind of need some kidneys. I mean, you do really need your kidneys, don't you? So they put me on this machine called dialysis. Anyone ever heard of that? If you don't know what that is, let me tell you. They bring this big six-foot machine into your room. They drill a hole straight in your neck. And they put a plug in it and hook it straight up to that machine. And you sit on that thing for five, six hours. You lay in your bed. And I don't know what it's doing. I'm not a medic. But it's supposedly making your kidneys function. And you can't eat, drink, walk, talk. You just got to sit there. And that thing will drain the life out of you. Now, I had 10 of those sessions. I had three blood transfusions. And to say that life was pretty rough would be put in a, would be an understatement. I remember saying to God, because they told me, you'll, you'll need to be on this machine five days a week for the rest of your life. And you'll probably need a kidney transplant. I began to think, did the God who really healed me leave me like this? Really? Is that what God would do? That don't sound like the God I know. Just do half a job and then disappear and move on to someone else. No. I think God, if you know, if the sun sets free, he's free indeed. Okay? So I'm thinking, this is crazy. Now, they said to me, I've been in hospital for about two weeks, and... They said to me, um, it was Friday, they said, look, your body is exhausted. We're going to give you two days off of this dialysis. You'll be back on it Monday morning. Okay, whatever. Now, that Sunday, my good friend Nathan Morris promised to see me. He said he's going to drive up from Orlando and come and see me. So I thought, let's have a bit of fun with the doctor. So I literally told him, hey, doc, you're going to think I'm crazy, but on Sunday, my friend's coming to see me from Orlando, and he's a healing evangelist. He's going to lay hands on me. I'm going to be healed, so I won't need the machine on Monday morning. He thought, this guy does have brain damage. He walked straight out of my room, and literally, he laughed at me. He thought I was mental. Sunday comes by. Nathan Morris walks in. Now, I've known Nathan a long time. In fact, Nathan led me to the Lord. He baptized me. He gave me my first ever preach. Um, He was the best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. Sorry, Phil. Um, (laughs) So, so, um, anyway. (laughs) So, um, he walks through the door and... I think this guy looks different. Now, I've been with him a lot around the world as he's preached. And he had a look of fire in his eyes. I mean, he, he didn't show up with grapes and flowers for a nice little pastoral visit. He walked in there burning with the Holy Spirit. He, and he didn't, even, he didn't even say hello. Literally. He said, Matt, God's given me a word for you. I'm like, I need one of them. 
He said this, and here's the thing about prophecy. People love to throw prophecy around these days, don't they? Like it's just some like confetti at a wedding. Like, oh, God. You know, let's save it for when it's real. Okay? You know, I love prophecy. Look, Phil gave us a prophetic word that we were going to get land. I love it. But don't throw it around like it's some game. This is the word of the Lord we're throwing around. He walks in and he says this. Now, some prophecies these days, it's like, they can say anything, can't they? Like, you're entering a new season. Well, yeah, you probably are. <laughs> yeah, we all are. We've got a new job, new kids, new wife, new clothes, new town, new city, whatever. This guy came in, he said, God says it's over this week. I'm like, wow, see how good you are here, mate. This is either going to be right or wrong. It's Sunday. you got seven days. It's over this week. We then did, we just had a laugh for two hours. Talked about stories. He brought me some hobnobs, which stuck in Alabama. You don't get many, so I'll always be grateful for the hobnobs. And we just talked, and then he prayed for me. Nothing spooky happened. Sometimes we think, what happened? Again, Nothing for the Sid Roth show. It wasn't supernatural. It was just normal. Nathan prayed for me. Nothing. I mean, I didn't get slain in the spirit. I think that would have killed me. (laughs) I just laid there and said, Amen. And I just about believed it. Just be honest with you. Because some of you think you're not good enough to get healed. Or you don't have enough faith to get healed. Proving you today that it's really got nothing to do with you. Sorry about that. You just got to have a little bit of faith. Okay? So, <laughs> he lays hands on me. He goes. I don't think I've even seen him since. Maybe once. <laughs> and that's it. I go to sleep. The next morning, I'm back on dialysis, allegedly. And Monday morning comes by. The doctor runs through the door at 6 o'clock in the morning, wakes me up. He's like, Matthew, you're not going to believe this, but something's happened with your kidneys over the weekend. <laughs> He's like, we're going to give you one more day off dialysis, but you'll be back on it tomorrow. I'm thinking, wow, what's going on here? So I, I had a bit more of a joke with him. I said, look, doc, I really believe that... God did something great this weekend. And he kind of laughed at me again and said, whatever. Anyway, the next day came around and the same thing happened again. The doctor ran through the door at seven o'clock in the morning. He said, Matthew, you're not going to believe this. Something happened overnight. We're going to give you one more day off dialysis, but you'll be back on it tomorrow. Now I'm thinking, God's done something here. Wednesday comes by, the same thing happens again, okay? The same thing happens. He runs through the door, 7 o'clock in the morning, and he says, Matthew, you're not going to believe this. Your results are even better. We're going to give you one more day after this, but you'll be back. And I'm like, that's it now. I'm like, enough is enough. I know I'm not crazy. I'm like, I felt like such, I had sudden faith. I said, doctor, I really believe Jesus Christ has healed my kidneys. That afternoon, little old lady knocked on my door. She says, are you Matthew? I said, yeah. 
He said, the doctor sent me in your room. He wants that dialysis machine out of here. He needs it somewhere else. I've come to take it. Is that okay? I'm like, take it! <laughs> and that was the last time I saw that machine. And the following day. Come on, give God some praise. Give God some praise. The following day, they discharged me. He prophesied on Sunday. He said, it's over this week. Sunday, on Thursday, they discharged me with no medication, with a clean bill of health. Today, I live a completely normal life. Completely normal. I, was, I go to the gym. I play football. I work hard. I'm, I have everything I need. God instantly restored me. There was a few hiccups with some of the medications at first, which I'd been on, which affected me. But everything is completely normal. There's no side effects. There's no long-term damage. Even today, that first Catholic medicine medic, I kept in touch with him and we became friends. And he said, Matthew, this astounds me. I said to him, can you write a statement? Because I'm going to put this into a little booklet one day. And he wrote, there is no medical explanation for Matthew's recovery from malaria. It's the doctor. Isn't God good? I'm going to pray for some people very soon. Let me just finish with this. Someone once told me what God tells you to do never ends with what God tells you to do. What does that mean? Whenever God does something, there's always much more happening than you can see. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, I'm healed. But why? what's that got to do with you? Was it a good entertainment today? Yeah, you've enjoyed it. You've had a laugh. I've brought out some great points. But maybe God wanted you to hear this story today for a reason. You see, when God pulled me out of that hospital, I got an email from a lady who I'd never met. But she was very known in, well known in the prophetic circle. And she said to me, Matthew, um, God's about to send you around the world and give you a voice. And he's about to open up doors in the media for you to speak to. I thought, what? Now, I worked in the media. I'm a, I was a football journalist. I worked in professional football for about four years. And I just quit that to become a pastor. So the last thing I needed was media. Okay? wasn't interested. I'd done radio. I'd done TV. They always said I had a good face for radio. So I stuck to that. And then, mainly newspapers, okay? So I thought, the last thing I want to do is do media. I thought, what does that mean? Then the next day, the phone rang, and it was the TV station there in Alabama. They said, we heard about your recovery. Can we come and interview you? I'm like, hey, yeah, come on. So I go there, and they film me. They interview me and Becky. We go on TV, and it gets viewed by about 300,000 people. And I testify that Jesus Christ healed me. I get home to England. I'm thinking, well, great, awesome. And the BBC contact me. I end up on the radio. Then I end up in all my local newspapers. Then, I mean, the national papers call me. The story goes in several national magazines. And it also makes the Daily Star. <laughs> so I'm like, what? So I'm like, this is great. So I actually, for the first and last time in my life, bought a copy of the Daily Star. And I was hiding that thing under my arm thinking, if someone sees me with this. But they did this big article that said, Malaria Miracle. 
thought, wow, it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And suddenly, invitations began to come from all around the world to share what I've just shared with you today. All I do is this. I just share the story. And every single time, someone has been saved or healed or challenged. I've not made any money out of it. Someone accused me of that once. I said, now every time I've spoke about it and someone's given me some money, I put 100% of it back into the Kenyan project there and one by one. So I've not taken a dime, literally not one penny for speaking outside of my own church ever. And I do that because I don't want my motive to become blurred here. I've seen people get distracted by money and I don't want to be that person. So I'm here today for two reasons. It's been great to share with you about what God's doing in one by one. I'm, I kind of feel excited. But, you know, I don't, I don't do this. I do this all the time, but I don't always feel excited as I do now. Like about like a partnership and a connection. It's when you meet people who you want to journey with like you guys, it, it really is exciting because you know that the kingdom's going to advance and you're going to have good fun along the way. It's perfect. Um, so I'm excited about that. So we'll be downstairs. We can chat more about that. But I also believe I'm here to give some people some hope. Not that I'm going to give you hope, but hopefully this story can. People go through hell. People don't know where their next meal is coming from. People live in fear and torment and hurt and abuse. They have so much history and past. And hopefully hearing this story today can remind someone that God is in control. He's in control. You might not realize it today, but he's in control. You might not have much faith right now. You only need a little bit. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, Go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.